This morning, uh, we are uh, going back into Acts chapter 2. We spent a lot of time uh, there uh, over uh, the last several months. Uh, And I would ask you to go ahead and stand as I read these verses. And actually, uh, have down here 347. I'm only going to read through 41. But this comes uh, after a sermon that Peter preaches. Uh, And it's a sermon that that really, at that sermon is where the church, uh, the foundation began. And after that sermon, in verse 37, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them, and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number on that day. May God bless the reading of his word. Paxton, I don't know if that's like the storm. I don't think I'm going to get tired. But this morning's uh, sermon is one that really we should be sitting around a table. And just having a conversation. Um, And rather than bringing a table in here and all of us just gathering around, I'm going to use that chair. Uh, But it represents us just sitting around a table and having a conversation. And thus the title for the sermon, This Is Us. I will say this is a sermon that in some ways is difficult to preach. I will say this is a sermon that for me, is difficult to hear. And I suspect will be difficult for some of you to hear. But this is us. Confession, and that's a word that makes us nervous right there. The sermon is going to be about confession. And to begin, I need to confess a little bit. Um, I need to confess about my junior year in high school and the one-act play of Tom Sawyer and my role and my little part with the harmonica. I started to bring my harmonica and and, uh, I I just, um, I'm not sure that I could play that piece. But I played the role of Tom Sawyer and... And I was excited about that role. I loved, I loved the play. I loved the story. And to be able to play the role of Tom Sawyer, was, I was very excited about that. And rehearsals had gone well. And the day before competition, my drama director, my theater teacher, um, Mrs. Parham, a lady that I loved dearly who passed several years ago, came to me and said, Kevin, I, I want to redo how we're going to start off this show. Laura, you've never done that, have you? The day before? 
She said, I want us to start off with you walking across the stage in front of the curtain, and I want you to play the harmonica and play Camp Town Races. Now, some of y'all know that's going in your mind right now. Some of you have no idea what that sounds like. But I said, that sounds great. I said, there's only one problem with that. I don't know how to play the harmonica. And she said, we've got 24 hours. So there was a man there in Ireland named Max Preston, a, an old farmer a person who is, is one of my faith heroes. I went to his house. He plays, played the harmonica. And I said, Max, can you teach me to play the harmonica? And he said, well, I'll try. And he brought a harmonica and said, here you go. He said, play me something. I played him something. He said, how long do we have? <laughs> but we sat there and we worked on it. And before long, it was passable. And the next day, we had competition, and we began the show in a whole new way. And I went across the front of the stage, playing camp town races on my harmonica. The curtain opened, the play began, and it was wonderful. In fact, we won. Um, and I was received best actor for my role as Tom Sawyer. And in... The notes and and time with the judge afterwards, she stopped and she looked at me and she said, young man, the way you began that with Camp Town Races was outstanding. I'm thrilled to see you using your talent of knowing how to play the harmonica. (laughs) So I confess, I know exactly one song. And it's not good. Now, there's another confession with Tom Sawyer that I need to, to make before you right now. Um, because in Tom Sawyer, uh, there is another character in that role, Becky Thatcher. Um, and Becky Thatcher and Tom Sawyer kind of have this little relationship. I know why I'm looking at you, Laura. Becky Thatcher was my first stage kiss. And you would think... As a junior in high school, I would have been thrilled with that. Becky was kind of cute. You would think I would have been thrilled. You mean I have to kiss this girl? But I confess I wasn't. Something about kissing your cousin just doesn't work. (laughs) Confession. I started to tell you about the time my sisters came to me and said, Dad knows you're in trouble. He said, go to your room and wait until he gets home. So I went to my room. They didn't even tell me what Dad knew. I started running a list. He might know this. He might know this. (laughs) By the time I had sat in my room for about 45 minutes, I had a list that was too long to bear. I kicked the window out and I ran away. Actually, I ran to the end of the road. Confession's tough. I want to confess to you this morning that while this sermon is difficult, I'm excited about this sermon. 
Now, I will tell you, uh, we have some great men that are going to be here over the next several months, and they're going to be preaching. They'll be preaching, and, and this is my last chance to do this for a while, so I'm a little sad about that, but I'm thrilled this morning to preach this sermon. Because I think it's nothing about what I'm going to say, but I believe it's important sermon. And one more confession to you. In preparing for this sermon, I prepared in a way that I've never prepared before. Um, I think our secretaries wondered where I was this week. Because a lot of the preparation happened right here. And I took the best part of an afternoon. And I came here and I thought about each one of you. Because with doing the call to worship and walking each morning, Sunday morning, I've been able to really see where you sit. We don't change that much, do we? And preparing these words in my heart, I said, God, I want to prepare, I want you to prepare the people. And I spent the better part of an afternoon sitting in every single pew. And praying for each one of you sitting in your pew. Praying for a number of you by name. Because I believe this sermon's important. And so let's get into it. Acts chapter 2. Again, we've, we've been there. But we've been in Acts 2.42. Read, pray, remember together. But what else is going on? There's a whole lot of stuff happening in Acts chapter 1 and 2, right? And we've zeroed in on this one verse, and I think it's an important verse. I think it lays the foundation of who we are supposed to be as a people. But there are other things happening in Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2. Now, let's just name some of those. First of all, we have Jesus sitting with the apostles, and he's saying, wait... Don't go yet. Wait. And he tells, tells him to wait because he's going to send the Spirit. And so while they're waiting, there is this anticipation of the Spirit. And the Spirit is coming. And they don't know what that looks like, how that's going to play out. But they're waiting and there's this anticipation. And then there is the coming of the Spirit in Acts chapter 2. And, and with that, there's this whole other realm of things that begin to take place. In Acts chapter 2, we have the reversal of Babel. The Tower of Babel where there was one language and a tower being built, a monument to mankind and how great we are. And in that moment, God tears down that tower. And that one language... Filled with pride and self-serving attitudes that one language is, is confused. And at Babel, humanity is divided and separated and scattered. But in Acts chapter 2, Babel is reversed. And God brings together from all nations... And it's so interesting to me that God doesn't give them back one language. But God blesses them and allows them to hear in the many languages. 
And then there's a return to creation. Do you realize that? In Acts chapter 2, not only is there the reversal of Babel, there is a returning to creation. At creation, the Spirit was over the waters. And God created and shaped and formed. And now the Spirit comes. And God creates, shapes, and forms. And the Spirit is not only over the waters. The Spirit draws humanity to the water. And so there is, there are all of these things happening in Acts chapter 2. And then there's Peter's sermon. It's the kind of sermon that I believe every preacher would love to preach. The kind of sermon that has people just waiting and hungering and wanting more. The kind of sermon that causes the people to say, what do we do? That's the kind of class I want to teach with our youth group on Sunday morning. I think that's what Darren wanted to be able to do this morning up here, and you did in a beautiful way, to be able to say words that cause people to say, what do we do with this? And so in that moment, Peter gives, by the power of the Holy Spirit, gives the people a choice. And I talked to our youth group this morning about an adaptive change that he, he brings them to a point in their life where they hear something, they are presented with something, and they have no other alternative but to say, we've got to do something with this. It's the kind of change uh, that we are often faced with. If you go to the doctor and the doctor tells you you've got to change your diet or you will die, that's a, that's a kind of change. You're presented with something, everything changes at this point, and I have to respond to this. Interesting that research shows that just under 90% of people, when given that kind of message, where you have to change or die, just under 90% of people across the board and all the different kinds of changes will say, I'd rather die than change. But that's not what happened here. Those gathered that day responded. What must we do? And Peter tells them. Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. For all whom the Lord our God will call. And Darren, I think you're right. That call was extended to everyone. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. And so Peter gives them the sermon. The Spirit is at work. People are saying, what do we do? And Peter sets the stage, or the stage is set not just by Peter, but by the work of the Spirit, for those who are gathered to say, we have to change. There's something we've got to do. And so within this text right here, I believe there are some confessional questions that were asked that we need to ask. And these come straight from the text. And I'm just going to ask these questions. And I'm going to tell you, I'm going to ask them in first person. I'm going to ask them for me. 
my hope and desire is that you will ask them for yourself. But also my hope and desire is that we will ask them corporately because there is individual confession and there is corporate confession. These are some of the questions that I believe are there. And I'm not going to make you raise your hand if it applies to you. Am I willing to be cut to the heart by the terrible beauty of the gospel? Or do I hold the gospel to arm's length and let it just be something I read, something I know about? Do I allow myself to be totally vulnerable before God? Where I say, God, this is who I am. I am completely vulnerable before you. And am I willing with everything in me to cry out to God, God, what must I do? Am I willing to confront my own sinfulness and fully repent and turn my heart toward the living God? Am I willing to openly receive the gift of the Holy Spirit? Or do I settle for something less? Something not quite as dangerous. And something that I can control. Do I want the fullness of the Holy Spirit? Or do I just want to know about the Spirit? Do I have a burning desire to live my life in such a way that I can extend this great gift to my children, my grandchildren, my neighbors, co-workers, friends? And Darren, I keep coming back to you. Your words were perfect this morning. Am I willing to live in such a way that I am desire to extend this gift even to my enemies? when I look at the world around do I really desire to be saved from this corrupt generation or do I just want enough Jesus to get by again I'm asking those questions of me and I don't like these questions but this is us And so there are some other questions that I think we are compelled to ask in our context right now. Have I reduced my participation with a local faith community to only corporate gatherings on Sunday for worship when I have time? Am I more passionate and read happy or angry about what happens in worship than I am about the mission of God to reach all humanity? I don't like these questions. I think we have to ask them. Have I allowed consumerism 
to shape my faith more than the cross has shaped my faith. And by that, if the church is not offering something I want, then I won't participate. Do I have regular practices of study, prayer, and reflection? Am I more likely to begin my day on Facebook rather than with my face in the book? And Brian Jarvis, I want you to, I'll make sure you hear this one right. Have I allowed my own care and concern for others? What God is calling each of us to do in providing care and compassion for others. Have I allowed that to be outsourced to church programs or to Rust Street? As great as Rust Street is, and it is great. God's still calling each of us to be involved in the lives of people. And provide care. Am I more likely to binge on the latest next Netflix series than feast on the word and work of God? Have I intentionally or unintentionally silenced the voice of others and prevented them from using their God-given talents? Only a couple more. There are probably plenty of confession questions we need to ask. Am I attentive to what God is doing in the world around me? And am I eager to join him? Am I motivated by a nostalgic longing for what used to be rather than an eager anticipation of what can and will be? See, these questions are important. Without confession, we never get to Acts 2.42. Without repentance, Acts 2.42 never happens. Read, pray, remember together these t-shirts and slogans and all that. They don't happen without honest listening, honest response, honest confession and repentance. We have to get this right. Not getting it right is not an option. As we look at our culture, families continue to struggle. We all know families, maybe our own families, they're taking it on the chin. And everywhere our families turn, they're getting beaten up right and left. We have to get this right. Spent some time back in the spring and early summer uh, really digging into and watching 13 Reasons Why, the story uh, on Netflix of a high school girl, Hannah Baker, who committed suicide and left behind a series of tapes that told everyone in her school why they contributed and how they contributed to her death. Hard series to watch. I believe it's a prophetic series in that it shows us the real life of pain and anger and confusion that not just our teenagers live in, that we all live in. That's real. Folks, we have to get this right. I won't even say much about this past week other than I continue to be amazed at the way anger and hatred tears us apart. 
I don't, I don't know your thoughts and feelings on different monuments. But folks, unless we center ourselves not around those monuments, but around this memorial that calls us to be people of love, grace, and forgiveness, we will continue to devour and consume one another. We have to get this right. And how are we doing? Just some figures. United Methodist Church, in the last four years, attendance has declined by 250,000. Southern Baptists report that in 10 years, their membership is down over a million. Churches of Christ. In about the last 10 years, over 500 of our congregations have closed their doors. How are we doing? We can do better. We have to get this right. So that's the hard part. This is the good part. This is the part that I was looking forward to. Because there's that hard stuff of confession. And I don't want us to rush past confession. And I want, I want to ask each one of us in our own heart to, to wrestle with those questions and other questions about what God is calling us to hear and do. But then there's another thing that happens after 242 where they are devoting their lives to one another and all of these things are happening. People are being healed. People are being brought to Christ and they were in awe of one another. They were in awe of what God is doing. I've said a couple of times that several years ago we were talking about this in youth group and Ben Heddock said, we need more of that. We need more awe. And so what I want to encourage us to do this week is maybe find time to sit down with some folks and if we need to confess, if there's confession that needs to be, take place, let's grab a chair and confess. And maybe this week, if there's someone in your life that, that you're just in awe of what God is doing in their life, name that and sit down with them and let them know. Pull up a chair. Pull up a chair with somebody like Ronnie and Katie Briley. Who have modeled for me what it is to be faithful in the midst of adversity like few people I know. And I am in awe. Maybe pull up a chair with somebody like Darren. Darren who's raising two beautiful and sweet girls and searching for God with passion. Sit down with somebody like Darren and let them know, Darren, I'm in awe. I'm looking for somebody and I don't see them here right now. People are hiding now. <laughs> but Jim and Julie Raymond are often in this area. I'm going to call them out even though they're not here. Jim and Julie Raymond. Julie Raymond, who is one of the, is, is she not one of the most creative, artistic, talented people you know? You can hardly find a place in this community that her fingerprints aren't there. 
sit down with somebody like Julie Raymond and ask her some questions about what she's doing with trustees and helping them know their story and tell their story and know that is the work of the Spirit. Sit down with her or someone like her and say, Julie, I'm in awe. I'm going to go to this side over here. Again, this is, this is part I was looking forward to. And I'm going to sit right here. Sit down sometime this week with somebody like Stanley Lockhart. Whose DNA, spiritual DNA, has helped us be who we are. Somebody who, as I still travel the country and sit with ministers and teachers across the country, they always ask, how's Stanley Lockhart doing? Stanley, one of the most respected people I know. And I am in awe of what God has done through you throughout your life. And just... And just a couple more. I know we've got lunch to eat. It probably wouldn't do us harm to spend a lot of time right here. But just yesterday, Roland Cheryl Howard celebrated 50 years of marriage. (laughs) Sit down this week with them or someone like them and let them know what a godly marriage has meant to you and to this church and our community. And Yesterday, as Rick said, we're here to honor mom and dad, but the first thing we're going to do is honor God. I'm in awe. And I'm going to go up here for one last one, and then we're going to wrap it up, and we're done. And I saved youth group. I could talk to a whole bunch of you, and I need to. But sit down this week with somebody like Kenzie Uptergrove. Who spoke, I believe, prophetically to our youth group at Medina this summer. When she said, you know, sometimes it seems like we're more concerned about those of us who already know Jesus than we are about those who don't. Kenzie, that wisdom, that maturity, that spiritual foresight, I am in awe. Folks, this is us. God has called us into this moment in time, in this place, to make a difference in this world. We cannot do that unless we first allow Him to search out our hearts and make a difference in our heart. It is time for us to confess. And it is time for us to recognize the work of the Spirit and name it when we see it and be in awe of what God is doing in this world. We're about to sing. Um, And when we sing, 
Um, I believe it's turn, turn my heart. And, and just like we've done, we're going to have people on sides. And if you want to go to them, I, I say please do that. But also, if there's someone else here that you need to confess to, confess with, be with, I want to ask you to do that. Maybe if there's someone in here that you need, just need to say, you know what, I've been watching you, and God is using you, and God is doing something powerful in your life, and I want to name that. I want to ask you to do that. This is us. The body of Christ that meets at 2200 Johnson Street. The body of Christ saved by the blood of Jesus, but not left alone just to celebrate our own salvation. The body of Christ that is empowered and commissioned to make a difference in this world by the blood of Jesus and by the power of the Spirit. Let's stand and sing.